0: At Willard Airport in Champaign, it is cloudy and 31 degrees. The dew point right now is 26. Northwest winds of 15 miles an hour and a wind chill of 20 degrees. It is 30 degrees at Friends Plaza in Urbana outside of our studios. You're listening to The Afternoon Magazine on WYLL AM 580. WILL programming is made possible by country financial representative Scott Jackson, Village at the Crossing in Champaign. Since 1990,
1: offering U of I faculty, staff, and employees planning advice and retirement solutions
0: designed to balance current needs and provide for future financial security. Online at scottjacksonfinancial.com. You're listening to the Afternoon Magazine on WILL. I'm Chris Berube. Earlier this week, the University of Illinois announced that it is considering opening an institute on campus financed by the Chinese government. The Confucius Institute would be focused on Chinese language and culture and would be paid for by a $150,000 a year grant from the Chinese Ministry of Education. Now, there are similar Confucius Institutes all across the United States. In fact, there are a couple in Chicago and on other university campuses in the Midwest. And their stated goal is to promote Chinese culture and language to Americans and other foreigners. But they've been somewhat controversial Some people have been uncomfortable with the idea of working so closely with the Chinese Communist government, and some have even gone so far as to say the Confucius Institutes are a covert means of spying. Joining me now on the phone is Wolfgang Schler. He is the Interim Associate Provost for International Affairs and Interim Director of the International Programs and Studies at the U of I. Do I have all of your titles, sir? Yes, you do. Okay, terrific. (laughs) And you uh, have been involved with this proposal about the Confucius Institute, is that right?
1: That is correct. Mm -hmm.
0: So tell me a little bit about, like, what is the proposal that's being tabled? Uh,
1: So the proposal is uh, to set up a a Confucius Institute uh, in in some ways uh, uh, similar to other Confucius Institutes that have been established at universities in the United States as well as uh, elsewhere in the world. Um, It will focus on two broad areas. Uh, One is to... um, uh, enhance uh, community outreach for uh, Chinese language uh, instruction and uh, uh, cultural uh, and uh, Chinese cultural education. Um, working with um, local schools, uh, libraries, etc. Um, it will also uh, set up a research center to um, conduct research on Chinese language testing. Uh, <clears throat> there's some existing work going on in the College of Education. And uh, so that uh, research will be based uh, in in the College of Education, <clears throat> working with uh, faculty and researchers who um, have have expertise on that.
0: So the Confucius Institute itself, you, you alluded to the fact that there are quite a few of them across the United States and in other places. Um, as I understand them, these are institutes that are set up as a partnership between an academic institution and another institution in China or the Chinese state to sort of raise cultural awareness about China and educate people about it—is that right? Uh, uh,
1: that is correct. Uh, there are really three partners. You know, one is the, of course, the, the funding agency, which is uh, uh, called Hanban. It's a, a unit of the Chinese Ministry of Education, and then there is a Chinese partner institution that's a, usually a university, and then the uh, local, uh, you know, hosting uh, institution. So in, in this case, our campus.
0: So why here? I mean, there is a Confucius Institute in Chicago, um, and there are, you know, quite a few in this area. Why, why one at the University of Illinois here in, in Central Illinois?
1: Um, I, I think there is. Uh, you, you're quite right. There is one in Chicago. there are actually two in Chicago. One at the University of Chicago, uh, the other one with the Chicago Public Schools. Uh, they all focus on on different uh, things. You know, clearly the one in the public schools, uh, you know, works with uh, Mandarin uh, and Chinese culture programs in the school district. The one in Chicago, I believe, uh, focuses on uh, uh, also on research, but uh, of, of a different uh, on, on different topics. And the idea uh, of uh, having one here in Champaign-Urbana is, you know, first of all, you know, we do have a, a sizable community here that uh, you know, will benefit from uh, increased out- outreach and resources in Chinese language um, and culture education. And as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, we have already uh, received interest from uh, local schools to help out with their uh, Chinese language programs um, but uh, the the other reason is that in in is uh, you know focuses on on the research topic um, you know, we are a center for this type of uh, research and there is no other Confucius institute that uh, deals uh, with specifically um, uh, on uh, Chinese language testing and you know developing um, Um, validation of these kinds of tests. So it is uh, really filling a gap, uh, not just uh, geographically, because Chicago is, after all, a few hours away, but also in terms of the topics uh, it focuses on.
0: Now, in terms of Chinese specifically, why is it so important right now to be learning Chinese? Like, why is this kind of an imperative that the institution needs to take on?
1: wouldn't say it's an imperative. Uh, I I think it's uh, a response to um, uh, a clear uh, demand uh, in the community. Um, There there has been a lot of interest uh, among uh, students to study Chinese, and very often schools do not have the the types of resources to deliver that. Uh, I actually uh, believe that the Urbana School District has um, Uh, benefited from a uh, a visiting instructor also funded uh, by Hanban, uh, the Chinese Ministry of Education, who's been in residence and and has been teaching high school students there. Uh, And so that indicates that there's uh, clearly a demand in the community and uh, a need for it. And and I think the uh, community outreach aspect of the Confucius Institute uh, shows that the campus uh, is responsive to that.
0: Now, uh, I'd feel remiss if I didn't bring this up. I know you've probably been hearing uh, some people who might be a little uncomfortable with working with an arm of the Chinese government. Uh, Some conspiratorially-minded people have even suggested that some Confucius Institutes might, you know, not be entirely benevolent in purpose. Uh, Some have made the accusation that they might have some involvement in monitoring Chinese students in America, though, as I understand it, there is no evidence for that claim. how Have you been responding to people who have felt a little uncomfortable with working with the Chinese government on something like this?
1: Yes, I mean I'm I'm certainly aware of that uh, controversy, and and uh, you know I've you know, we've certainly seen that at on many other campuses, uh, especially in at this uh, stage uh, in in the process. And uh, you know what I would say you know, to that is the the uh, kind of the the evidence, uh, you know, to to my knowledge, really has not borne out. I've talked to many colleagues who. Um, work on campuses uh, and uh, you know oversee confucius institutes uh, there where there was you know, initial concern um, among the faculty um, uh, about the setup of the, of these institutes uh, as you said there you know, really hasn 't evidence of uh, you know, more nefarious uh, motivations it, it's yeah, clearly i mean Confucius institutes are you know not set up out you know, of complete uh, altruism. I think the Chinese government does want to uh, you know, increase knowledge awareness of Chinese culture and Chinese language, uh, just like you know, Germany sets up Goethe institutes uh, to you know, increase uh, German language proficiency around the world, and the Alliance Française does the same for French. And uh, you know, many many countries have similar institutions, uh, maybe not as large a number, but um, I think the the motivation is is really the same. And uh, I would also say that this is. Uh, you know a project that uh you know will be evaluated and, and uh you know carefully observed and if it were to turn out that um you know some um problems occur you know we, we can, of course uh, you know change course in the future but I do not expect that
0: when would um the institute be open if the proposal goes through?
1: proposal goes through and all the uh, uh, approvals uh, are obtained, I, I think uh, it will you know, take just a few months to actually set up the institute. So I uh I'm actually not familiar with the exact timeline. Board of Trustees and Illinois Board of Higher Education have to uh, also approve this, um, the uh, proposal to establish the institute. But after that, I, I, um, and you know, perhaps this will happen later this spring uh, or, or early summer, it, uh, you know, we should be able to set up the institute um, perhaps before the, uh, before the beginning of the next academic year.
0: Well, Dr. Schleur, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. You're very welcome. You can listen to all of our interviews from The Afternoon Magazine on our website, will.illinois.edu. I'm Chris Berube, and this is The Afternoon Magazine. Stay with us. WILL programming is made possible in
1: part by the Little Theater on the Square in Sullivan, presenting Les Miserables, from Friday, February 22nd, till Sunday, March 3rd. More information is available at 217-728-7375 or online at www.thelittletheater.org.
2: And here is the Writer's Almanac for Friday, the 8th of February, 2013. It's the birthday of the poet Elizabeth Bishop, born in Worcester, Massachusetts, 1911. Went to Vassar, wrote poetry there. And from her mentor, the poet Marianne Moore, she learned that she could write poems that were not about big ideas like love or death, but just about looking at objects. It's the birthday of John Grisham, born Jonesboro, Arkansas, 1955. He was a successful lawyer. He set out to write a novel about one of his court cases. It was called A Time to Kill. It came out in 1989, did not do well. John Grisham then read an article in Writer's Digest magazine about the rules of suspense, and to use that formula to write a thriller about a law student who realizes the firm that he works for is connected to the Mafia. And that was The Firm, a huge bestseller in 1991. Kate Chopin, born in St. Louis, 1850, on this day. She came from a successful family. She was a young socialite, a southern belle. She got married, had six children. She was a devoted wife and mother. But then her husband died, and then her mother died, and Kate Chopin was depressed. Her doctor encouraged her to write because she was a good letter writer. And so over a period of about 15 years, Kate Chopin wrote almost a 100 short stories and two novels, At Fault and The Awakening in 1899. It was The Awakening that caused the controversy at the time, the story of a woman who gives up being a wife and mother, has an affair, and walks into the sea, perhaps a suicide. It was heavily censored and criticized at the time, now considered an important work by an early feminist author, The Awakening. And it's the birthday of Neil Cassidy, born in Salt Lake City, 1926. A con man in and out of jail came to New York City, met Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg, who idolized him. To them, Neal Cassidy embodied everything that they embraced in theory. Neal Cassidy was the inspiration for the character Dean Moriarty, the hero of Jack Kerouac's On the Road. Allen Ginsberg wrote about him, and Neal Cassidy appears in the electric Kool-Aid acid test by Tom Wolfe as a friend of Ken Kesey's. Here's a poem for today by Gavin Ewart, Sonnet, Daffodils. Wordsworth really loved daffodils. He said they were flashers. Certainly, they must be the most exhibitionistic flowers there are, trumpeting their presence in yellow, by far the most visible color. I grant that after a long, hard winter, its warming